everyone, and welcome to Red Monk Conversations. I'm Rachel Stevens with Red Monk, and with me today I have Gaetan Castellan. Did I get that right? Did that? You did. You're very close. Oh, uh, <laughs> close. My, my French is really terrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's okay. Maybe, maybe you I, should introduce yourself. And I make it tough because I have a French first name and Dutch last name. I'm from Belgium, so I have that, that weird French-Dutch combination. Yes. But it's a gay okay. talk as line. And, and thanks so much for having me, Rachel. Wonderful. And can you let everyone know just who you are and what you do? Yeah, so I am VP of Marketing at Tecton. Uh, I have been at Tecton for about four years, so joined the company very early on, like seven in the company when I joined. Uh, before that, spent a couple of years as VP of Product Marketing at Confluent, the streaming data company. Uh, then before that, a few years at a company called Cohesity, so no startup. Um, and then a long time VMware person before that, like running product management, product marketing at VMware. Wonderful. And Tecton, for those who don't know, is a feature platform for in the machine learning space. And I am recording this call today because I had this lovely conversation with GC last, or I guess it was a couple weeks ago, where I came in 100% in like this Gen AI frame of mind, because that's what everybody talks about all of the time. <laughs> and <laughs> I learned so much because I, I did not correctly have this mentally bucketed myself. And so Really, we're here to talk about what is a feature platform, what is predictive ML, and just kind of understanding more to this AI space and the AI ML space beyond kind of what is getting headlines these days. So like generative AI has all the um, hype right now, but I would love to talk to you today. Just what is the predictive ML market looking like and what makes it different? Yeah, yeah, great question. And, you know, I, obviously, yeah, Gen AI has all the hype, right? Always uh, talking about it. And and I think rightfully so, right? Like it's uh, it speaks to us as humans because now yeah. we can converse with machines and have machines generate human-like content. And so that's, that's fascinating. Um, but yeah, I think th there is a strong distinction between generative AI and predictive AI. And so predictive AI, is all about generating highly accurate predictions and generating those in the fastest way possible. And uh, predictive AI has been around for a long time. It's used by companies like Google or Amazon. Like when Google uh, figures out which ads to serve you, that, that is powered by predictive AI. Or when Amazon figures out which products to recommend to you when you watch Netflix and it recommends shows that you may like. All of that is powered by predictive AI. Um, and, um, and so that's quite different from generative AI, right? Well, the, the goal of generative AI is not necessarily accuracy. In fact, we've all heard these stories of generative AI sometimes just making stuff up when it doesn't know. Uh, but the goal of generative AI is to understand human content, uh, like large language models, and to be able to generate uh, text or, or, or uh, content that, that speaks to us as humans. And so it's really two different objectives between these two forms of AI. And uh, if we th like thinking about predictive AI, uh, which is really about generating those very accurate predictions, what we have seen the most advanced organizations like Google or Amazon or Facebook do is use predictive AI to power applications. And I can mm -hmm. give out a few examples. Like Tecton was created by the team that built the Uber Michelangelo ML platform. And Uber Michelangelo is kind of this well-known ML platform in the industry. 
And it's used to power all sorts of predictive machine learning at Uber. So for example, if you get an ETA on a meal, like if you do Uber Eats and you order a meal and you get an ETA when that's going to be delivered, that's powered by machine learning. Uh, <laughs> or if you uh, have surge pricing, those prices are set by machine learning models, not by an army of humans who are constantly monitoring demand and supply. Uh, so predictive ML has been around for a long time. That being said, um, the way it is used in most enterprises today is still very batch in nature. Uh, so what that means is we've done business intelligence for a long time. We're all used to having dashboards and, and having humans make decisions off of dashboards. And the way most enterprises use predictive machine learning today is to provide better insights to a human decision maker. And I, that's a good first step. Uh, but we believe that really predictive ML is most powerful when it is deployed in production to support new applications, new end user facing services uh, to automate business processes. And the reason for that is as long as you have the human in the loop making those decisions, you'll only be able to operate in batch mode on those decisions. And we're now generating so much data that is coming at us so fast with like streaming, Kafka, real-time data, that it's really impossible for humans to keep up. Like right. in the examples I threw out, like Uber could not have an army of humans generating an ETA prediction for every meal that is ever ordered on Uber Eats. It's just not practical. And I think many enterprises have situations like this where there's just too much data to rely just on human interpretation. And that's where predictive ML really comes in. It can allow you to make the, the simple routine decisions very, very quickly uh, oftentimes more accurately than a human, and you can then use those predictions to build new customer-facing services or applications. Uh, and that is what's really powerful about predictive ML. Yeah. And like as you can tell, it's really about predictions. It's not about human-generated or interpretable content. It's really about making a prediction. And that, that's, that's what predictive ML is all about. Gotcha. Oh, then I want to clarify one thing because you had human in there a couple of times. And I just want to make sure. So we talked about how batch processing could kind of be like that human in the loop processing, which is all yeah. not sustainable for a lot of things. You also used the word human in your conversation around like generative AI making human content. So I think like there's some distinctions there. So it's like human in the loop in terms of like structured data, but we're doing it in a batched way versus human being like this is unstructured data that we're kind of using in it. And this is, I feel like human kind of came up in two different uh, forms. Yeah, so I just want to make sure we're clear there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in the context of generative AI, when I'm, I'm talking about human interpretable content, right? Like, yes. like speech, like natural text, language. Natural yeah. language. Mm -hmm. In the context of predictive ML, the point is that most of the time in the enterprise today, predictive ML is used in a batch way with a human in the loop to make that ultimate decision based on the okay. data that is provided by the model. But that's where we can really take that human out of the loop and, and automate those de gotcha. decisions instead of relying right. on humans, right? Yeah. Perfect. I just wanted to make sure we had that clarified because yeah. the whole goal of this conversation is clarified. <laughs> okay. yeah. You also talked about like the, the the challenge of bringing things into production. So it's yes. not just having the data, but how do I actually get these predictive models to be able to make these predictions at scale in these enterprises? Can, can you talk a little bit about what that looks like? Yes. And so when we talk about predictive ML, we believe that predictive ML really belongs in production to power new applications and services, right? I mentioned mm -hmm. Uber examples, but there's countless examples like 
We have customers using uh, predictive ML to automate loan underwriting or to uh, do fraud detection or to do product recommendations or to do dynamic pricing. Like there's, there's a, a large quantity of use cases that are much better once you get uh, uh, predictive ML into production. Now, mm-hmm. that's a complicated, very complicated transition because um, we're coming from this BI world where everything is batch in nature, right? We have the human in the loop, so it's okay if we generate a report like once a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so pipelines are batch in nature, and the data serving is batch in nature. Like on, you know, if you're using a centralized data warehouse, chances are you're not doing real-time transactions on that data warehouse. You're updating dashboards and stuff, which which is very batchy. And once we're moving predictive ML into production, now we're dealing with production data. And that means two things. That means, one, we need to be able to serve the predictive signals, the data that's going to be used to make the predictions. We need to be able to serve that in real time at scale with enterprise-grade service levels. So the serving aspect becomes a lot more complicated. But then also oftentimes, if you're doing real-time predictions, those predictions will become much more accurate if you use real-time data to power the predictions. Right? So I'm just like going back, I'm just going to go back to my Uber Eats example, because that's an easy one to understand for everyone. But imagine that you order a meal on Uber Eats and we're telling you like, hey, it's going to be delivered in half an hour. That prediction is actually quite complicated because you need a multitude of data points. Like how complicated is the meal that you just ordered? Is it just like a simple thing for one person or is it a big meal for like 20 people? How busy is the restaurant right now? How long does the restaurant usually take? Uh, what is the traffic situation like between the restaurant and the delivery location? Do we have any drivers in the vicinity? Yeah. So there's a lot of data points that go into generating that ETA. And you can tell that some of these data points can be batch in nature, that's fine. Like how long does the restaurant usually take? If that's a data point from a day ago, that's probably still valid. But some of these data points will really benefit from being real time. Like what's the traffic situation like now? Or what is the, what is, how busy is the restaurant right now? And mm-hmm. so these predictions become more accurate if you're also using fresh, real-time data to power the predictions. And that gets us into a world of like streaming transformations and real-time transformations. And that's where it gets really, really complicated because all of our analytics stack has really been designed for batch use cases. And now we've got to start taking that that batch data, combining it with streaming and real-time data, transforming it very, very fast and serving it online at very high volumes, very low latencies to support these real-time predictions. And Mm -hmm. that is what's contributing to making this transition from batch to real-time so complicated for organizations. We essentially have to bridge those two stacks, right? The the, the batch analytics stack and then your production data stack. Um, And uh, and that's really the problem that Tekton is setting out to solve, is providing tooling to make that transition much easier for organizations. Gotcha. So now, now that you mentioned Tekton, like, there, there's a couple different things. So if we're thinking feature platform, um, yes. number one, let's make sure we've defined feature. So if we're saying yes. feature, like in this example, you just gave all of those various data points would be features of the model. Is that right? Or how should people be thinking about that's right. features? Yeah, okay. that's right. And features, you know, features can be confusing because like, you know, we talk about product features, right? And, and in mm-hmm. this case, features are not that. Features are actually high quality data signals that you feed into your model to make a prediction, right? Okay. And so like 
again, going back to the Uber Eats example, like um, how busy is the restaurant right now? Could be a data point on a scale of one to 10, right? Um, and, and when you make a prediction, you need a feature vector. And that would be the feature vector is something that the application is going to request. It's going to be like, hey, I need to make a prediction for Rachel. Um, please send me the feature vector that relates to Rachel. And then we will serve back all of the data points that are going to be used by the model to make a, pred a prediction. So that, that is what a feature is, is a, is a high quality predictive data signal that gets fed into a model to power these predictions. And I, and I wanted to clarify with you, so feature different than raw data because the raw data points are just yes. all the data points, but these features are going to be, like you said, they could be ranked, they could have like ETL things applied to them to do transformations. Like they're, they're going to have some kind of, um, I guess computation in the program. Yes, yeah. Okay. So, so creating high quality features is uh, it's it's manageable if all you're using is batch data. Mm -hmm. Like we have tools like you know pipeline orchestration tools, processing engines that would allow us to create features in batch mode. Where it gets really complicated is once you start incorporating streaming data or real time data. Right. And I'll throw out a few examples. Like one of the things that makes it complicated is that we're generating data for machine learning, which means that, yeah, we need the fresh data that can be served uh, very fast at high volume, but we also need historical data that we can use for model training, right? So we can't just keep the, the very latest fresh data. We also need the historical data. Uh, and so th that, that like increases the complexity of the pipelines. Another thing is like, oftentimes if you're using streaming data, you're gonna wanna be doing aggregations on the data. Uh, and so these aggregations can be very resource intensive. If you're using streaming data, you also oftentimes need to back up that streaming data with batch data for the, to, to get that historical context. Like imagine you're just using a stream and you don't have any of the historical data behind it. How do you train your model? Uh, if you want to train, train the model on a year's worth of data, are you going to wait for a year for that stream to play out before you can train the model? That's not practical, right? And so we oftentimes need to have a batch data source that is going to back up the stream with all the historical data. And then we need to transform all of that and combine that streaming and batch data source in a way that, that keeps the data consistent. Right. So, so these data transformations that are required to produce the high quality predictive signal, uh, these data transformations are oftentimes very complicated. Yeah. They rely on data engineers. Data engineers have a lot of work to do, those backlogs. And so like one thing I want to mention too is the process is often very, very convoluted, convoluted today because you mm -hmm. have data scientists who behave more like scientists, right? They, 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 they search for data, they do experimentation, they try new things. And they're like often operating in like a Jupyter notebook on the local machine. And they, have, they generate code that is not production quality code. And so once you're happy with the features that you're gonna use for your model, then you need a production data pipeline. And that's typically not bid by the data scientists, but they hand over the notebooks to data engineers or machine learning engineers who are going to re-implement the pipelines using production quality code. And that handoff process just slows everything down. Like if you think about the way we do application development today, the software engineer is really empowered to build this code, like QA it, get it to production, and we can release software on a daily basis because the process has become so streamlined. In the world of machine learning, we're very far from that today because, right. because of these complicated handoffs between teams. 
And so right. we, and I think that yeah. ties into my next question though. So it's like we, yeah. we talked about what is a feature and then we want to, I want to get into the word platform. So like I've yeah. definitely heard about feature stores and like projects yeah. like Feast. Um, what's feature, feature platform? And I think your conversation here is starting to um, touch into that. So let, let, let's, um, let's dive there. Okay. Great question. So, Yes. So feature stores have uh, become popular over the past three, four years. We now, now have Databricks with a feature store. AWS has one. Google has one. Like there's multiple feature stores that have um, that have been created. The the feature store aims to solve the serving side of the feature problem, right? So what feature stores do is they curate high quality data in an online store for online serving. And in an offline cost-efficient store like S3, for example, to generate training data sets, to train the models. Okay. And then they, they, they present a clean, like very consistent set of APIs to consume the data. They allow the data to be reshared between models. Like you have a central repo of all of your features. And many times models will reuse, fe- reuse features across models. Like there's oftentimes data points which are common between, between models. And so when you have the central feature store, now anybody can go and reuse existing features, right? So, so it's really solving the serving side of the feature challenge. But that's not enough because, as I mentioned earlier, like the data transformation aspect is oftentimes where people get the most bogged down. And so to really enable people to quickly and reliably generate high-quality features, you need to not only serve them with a feature store, but you also need to uh, to manage the transformation of the raw data into clean feature data. These are pipelines. And so I take on because like our mission in life is to uh, build high-quality data for machine learning. We think that's important to address both of these sides, the feature pipelines, and in the feature store. And that's what we call a feature platform at Tekton, right? So we uh, allow data scientists and machine learning engineers to, cre- to, to create declarative definitions of, what if, of the features. Um, and then we automate the pipelines and optimize these pipelines. A lot of our uh, IP is in, um, is in managing these data transformations on streaming and real-time data. So we automate the pipelines to create, to generate high quality feature data. And then we curate that data in a feature store and then serve it online with great service levels and make it very easy for people to generate high quality training data sets using the historical data. And that's that's how we think about that distinction between a feature platform is that combination of transformations and storage uh, and serving, whereas the feature store really just does the storage and serving. Gotcha. And I, I think I might have interjected too soon with me thinking that I understood platform because in the last in the last question you're talking about kind of getting that model from the data scientist, like Jupyter Notebook into production. And yeah. it sounds like that's that kind of comes after the feature platform. Is is that right? Those are the no, so, so do, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so the way the, the process works with Tekton, so you're still going to do like a lot of data exploration in your notebooks. Right? That doesn't really change. Like you've got to do a lot of experimentation. The notebook is a great way to do that. The way the process changes is once you know what you want your feature to be, we allow anybody, that could be a data scientist, it could be a machine learning engineer, a data engineer, to create a feature definition. Right, which is basically a Python file, which 
with a declarative framework defines what the feature needs to, to look like. So okay. that means they're going to define the data sources, they're going to define the transformation logic that needs to be applied. That Python file is managed in a centralized Git back to repo. Okay. Uh, and, and so that means that anybody can collaborate on these features. Right? Like I can pull an existing feature, branch it off, create a new version. Uh, it's all centralized, so all these teams can collaborate on features. And once you have created that feature definition, you then apply it to Tekton, and we will automate the end-to-end -end okay. process. So you will automate the pipelines, the data transformations, mm -hmm. and then we will serve the data online and, and have the data available for, for, for generating training data sets. Uh, so that's that's really what Tekton does, right? So it's, it's aiming to manage that end-to-end -end workflow, aside from like the really the, the early data exploration phase, which is still mostly going to happen using existing traditional tools. That was really helpful. And so then I kind of wanted to take it back um, by ending where, where, where I started in my confusion. And can we talk about just how feature stores interact and intersect with generative AI? And yes. Bring this all together because it feels like they're slightly different, but it also feels like there's overlap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So great question. So in the beginning, we talked about like generative AI is all about human interpretable content, right? And predictive yeah. AI is all about high, generating high quality predictions. Today, feature stores are mostly used to support predictive AI uh, because that it's it's these models that need to be very, very accurate. But like imagine a fraud detection model. Accuracy is essential. Like if you can improve accuracy by a tenth of a percent, that probably has a meaningful impact on the bottom line. Right. Uh, so they're optimized for different things. But that being said, there are many use cases where uh, generative AI and predictive ML play well together and allow you to generate a better overall solution. Right. So for example. Um, I think last time we spoke, I mentioned the Stitch Fix example, where you essentially get uh, clothes delivered to you on a regular basis, uh, and that, and then you give feedback on what you, you receive. If you like it, great. If you don't like it, you send it back, and you, you mention why you don't like it. And, and that response is human-generated content. Like it's going to be free text of the reasons why you did not like that shipment or the, that set of clothes. And um, you can then use generative AI to extract the signal from that feedback, right? Like generative AI would understand what you wrote in your feedback and would extract the main points. It could be like, hey, the color wasn't right, or the size was wrong, or the style was a little bit too out there, or like what have you. Once generative AI has extracted the, the signal from your feedback, that, can, that, that, that signal then can become features that would be managed by Tekton and fed into a predictive model that will be used to generate a recommendation of what to send you next, right? Okay. Um, and so that's a good example of like the two, the two types of, of ML we talked about, generative and predictive, working in conjunction with each other to, uh, to, to lead to a better outcome. Another okay. example of this is imagine you want to do an email campaign, like you're an online retailer and you want to do an email campaign to all of your customers. Well, you could you similarly, you could use predictive ML to generate a recommendation, being like based on Rachel's uh, buying history and recent browsing history, 
we think Rachel will really like this product. And then you can use generative AI to generate content, like, like an email content, an email that we, could be sent to you on, hey, Rachel, check this out. We have a promotion on this product. Uh, and so that's another example of like how the two, the two types of ML here can be used in conjunction. So so, so, to, to summarize, like in one, generative AI is kind of helping generate, a, is it generating like data for the feature? Is, is that right? And then the other, you're using the features to generate. So it kind of goes both ways. So in the case of Stitch Fix, generative AI is used to extract the, the sentiment from, from like free text, right? Mm -hmm. In the second case, generative AI is used to generate human content based on a prediction that exactly. was on a recommendation that comes from a predictive AI model. It's much better articulation than what I... <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then there's another thing I just want to mention, like even in the case of generative AI, like if you use ChatGPT, it's a human-generated prompt, right? So ChatGPT is going to give you a response based on the information that is included in your prompt. Mm -hmm. Now, that prompt is human-generated. So there's like limited quality of information and accuracy that you can expect in that prompt. You can augment the prompt with uh, with high quality features, which could be like I don't know. You could be asking a question of Chat GPT, like uh, I don't know, like um, Hey, can you write an email to a thank you email to a customer, right? And then Chat GPT will generate that email. But it's but but if you can enhance your request with high quality data, which could be like. How much did the customer buy this year? What was the last product the customer bought? Then mm -hmm. ChatGPT can generate a response that will incorporate that information and make it more personalized, right? So, uh, so there's also a use case where you can just enhance the prompts that you feed into large language models with high quality features to lead to a better outcome. Um, and so, so there's like these two, like predictive ML and generative AI being used in conjunction, but also high quality data just being used to to, to lead to better outcomes from generative AI. Um, and, and so like the, the, the main conclusion here is that these high quality data signals are extremely useful for an organization. Today, most like these features that Tekton manages, mostly used to power predictive uh, AI type use cases but will increasingly become very useful also for generative AI use cases. And so really like our mission, the way we think about feature platforms is we enable organizations to create, manage, share, centralize all these high quality data signals that are going to be useful in a variety of machine learning use cases. Today, mostly predictive, but in the future, also including generative AI use cases. Well, that was absolutely just as enlightening this time as it was last time. And <laughs> share this publicly because I think I think it will help a lot of people understand the space better. Gaetan, thank you so much for your help today. It was wonderful to chat with you. All right, same here. Thanks so much for having me, Rachel. Pleasure Bye. as always. Thanks. Bye.